Welcome to The Partner Perspective. I'm Sheena Datani. I've been in the professional services recruitment market across corporate governance for almost eight years. I wanted to create a podcast series for my connections within the professional services industry, in particular at the partner level so that they're able to have a platform to share their experiences, challenges, their personal journey, and for those listeners that one day want to become a partner or perhaps get some free tips and tricks on how to progress your career. The guests on this show will come from big four, mid-tier and smaller boutique consulting firms discussing a range of topics from hiring talent, retention strategies, interview processes, leadership tips and ever-growing market demands. My partner connections will also have experience from various sectors, from financial services such as banking, insurance, wealth and asset management, right through to your corporate partners focusing on telecoms, media, manufacturing and wider sectors covering not-for-profit and the public sector. From this podcast, you'll gain insight into the front line of professional services. It will also take you inside global firms and features conversations with experts on issues that matter the most in business and management. If you're ready to release your full potential and want to learn the best practices, principles and best strategies, listen to this podcast where the key movers and shakers of this industry give tips to get to the top. Hello, welcome to the Partners Perspective. Um, we are on episode two. Um, I'll give you a bit of an update as to where I am. I have got back from my wedding now, um, just to update our audience. Um, and we're back into full swing. It's September, the audit market is busy, and we have a very, very special guest on our episode today. So I will let you introduce yourself, welcome. And firstly, thank you for coming on here. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast. Uh, but I'll let you go into who you are and introduce yourself on our podcast. Yeah, thanks, Sheena. Um, so my name's Emma Clayton, um, and I'm a partner um, within Banking Capital Markets Audit um, at the Big Four. Um, I've spent my career actually in audit. Um, so. 14 years ago, um, I entered the audit career um, and I've done a few other things uh, during my time, um, including having my daughter, um, which I'm really proud of. Um, and yeah, that's basically what brings me here today. Nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, what a background. Um, and just to let our audience know what, how our relationship, where, 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 why, why are we here today is because um, we've got a team of professional services um, here at IAC who purely focus on audit recruitment and one of my team members reached out to you, um, who unfortunately is no longer with, here with us today, but she introduced us and I think we talked about what the benefits of the podcast are and just a chance to give, you know, listeners you know, a, a vision around how you got to where you are today and just discussing your background, your history and what challenges you faced in your career. So 14 years, a long time. <laughs> a very long time. <laughs> and um, I must say Emma's daughter is absolutely beautiful. You can see a little picture of her today, but we'll go into that later on as well. So talk to me about how did you get into it? How did you get into all this? Did you, did you sort of just see that path? Did you, you know, when you studied, is that the avenue you thought you were going to go down? Yeah, I, I'm probably the complete opposite to that. And this is by no means career advice to people at university <laughs> um, or looking at business apprentice schemes. 
Um, I was studying at Loughborough um, University and um, accounting and financial management. So I guess I always really enjoyed business studies, but was also quite um, confident with maths, um, but didn't want to study maths. So accounting kind of felt like the, the next um, closest thing um, to get a mixture of that. Um, it didn't mean that I was gonna necessarily go to work in that. In fact, um, my mum was a trader um, in the 80s um, and she was actually head of her um, desk at the time, which as a female in the 80s was kind of super impressive and she's always been one of my role models. Um, and so in my head, I just wanted to be a trader. I think you just become a bit tunnel visioned around you know, what your parents did. Um, my dad was in the police, so there wasn't, that wasn't something that interested me um, or that I felt I could do well. Um, so that's what I wanted to do, but she always said, you know, she had me, um, there was no concept of, you know, working from home or part-time. Um, so she went back to work um, and then just struggled basically to make that career work with a child. Um, but she had nothing to fall back on because um, she'd gone straight from school into the city um, and worked her way up. So she kind of always said to me, I don't mind what you what you do, um, but maybe do something that gets you a qualification. So if you decide to change paths later on in life, you've got that to fall back on. Um, and I had a placement year, which was compulsory um, as part of my course. Um, and I had some friends kind of in the year above um, at university who were doing their placements at the time. Um, and I spoke to them, like got a few um, kind of feelings around like different places of work um, and their experiences um, and then applied to one of the big four um, as, as a result of that. Um, and that's really how I got into audit. There isn't it wasn't, oh, I have this burning desire to be an auditor. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess that's that's how it started. <laughs> it's really interesting um, and great advice uh, to your mum, well, from your mum actually, because yeah, the qualification piece is really interesting, you know, that she said that. And she sounds really aspirational as well, like hearing she's a trader and she's the head of the desk. That's very important to me, you know, female leadership, you know, females doing really well at work. I love that. So that sounds like an amazing, you know, story, but, you know, especially as a role model. Um, you know, when we talk about, you know, who's your role model here at work, you know, where we open here as a business, it's a really tight knit team. And I often, even our team has said, you know, quite a lot of the times my role model is my mum. Yeah. It seems, you know, quite a few mums are role models, which is great to hear. And I'm sure you'll be a great role model to, you know, your baby girl as well. So, hope so. very interesting <laughs> background. Um, I mean, what, what, what would you say is, what, what's the best piece of advice you were given throughout your 14 years of experience? Can you pinpoint something where you know, that really sits with you, you will remember that or something had an impact on you? I think um, there have probably been a few bits of advice. I was trying to think about this question. There's probably been a few different bits of advice which have stayed with me at different stages and they've been important at different stages. 
Um, so when I first qualified, um, one of the partners said to me, whatever you do, if you leave or if you choose to stay, if you choose to stay, stay because you're not because you can't be bothered to leave or go to the effort of trying to leave or look around, but actually stay because consciously you're making the decision to stay. Mm. Um, and that really stuck with me because it did make me think all my peer group were moving on post qualification. You know, that's typically what happens. Yeah. Um, and it made me really kind of stop um, in my tracks and think, right, is this something that I can see myself doing? for the longer term? Is there something that interests me more? Mm. Um, do I now want to go into banking, which is what I always set out to do? Mm. Um, and actually, I decided that um, banking wasn't for me and that I was learning so much more about the banking industry by working in audit. Um, and I was getting exposure to kind of really senior people at my clients, um, and I felt, you know, as quite a junior, newly qualified, that that was a really good um, opportunity. Um, and I really loved the kind of people aspect of the role. Um, so that was the best advice I had at the time because I consciously made the decision to stay. And I say it to people all the time, don't, you know, you can't stop people from moving on or moving out into industry if that's what they want to do. But if you're going to stay, fully invest in yourself and stay yeah, um, and make that conscious decision. So that was really important to me kind of at that um, time in my career. Um, and then I'd say, oh, it must have been about five years ago now, maybe four years ago, it was definitely pre-COVID. Um, but someone said to me, look at your life like a Venn diagram. So you've got your career, you've got yourself and you've got a family or your family. Um, the box doesn't grow around the Venn diagram, um, but the circles might expand and contract, Yeah. but they can't all expand at the same time. So just be aware that there's only so much space for your work life, your yourself and your family yeah. and sometimes one of those has to give at the at the sacrifice of another and um that's really stuck with me as well because I've always been quite driven I've always pushed myself I've always said yes to everything um and actually now I always stop and think mm -hmm. okay what does my Venn diagram look like at the moment like what's the bigger yeah. what's the biggest circle mm -hmm. um and I think that just helps me sometimes to reason with what I'm focusing on. And sometimes work has been the biggest circle. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where I got to um, today. It's so interesting to see that because I've, I mean, I was given good advice by a family member. She's quite successful. She works at Coots Financial Services Industry. She's a director there, done well for herself. And she always said to me, you've got a triangle or you've got you know three different elements here you've got family slash friends work life personal relationship and she always said neither of those three things can be in equal sort of footing all the time there'll always be something that you need to focus on something that won't be right and might some people might <laughs> think of that as quite grim 
but you've always got something to work at is probably what she was getting at. And that has always stuck with me. And that's really good advice that you received. I'm just relating it back. Mm. It sounds like it's a very similar, very similar situation of, you know, different examples of that advice that's been given. And I often think in the recruitment industry, relating that back, there's not enough. And I don't know whether you find this, but there's not enough female role models. And that's something that's really key to me. Often I speak about that on the two who recruit with Julia, shout out to Julia. Um, we often speak about, you know, female role models in leadership and, you know, breaking the whole point of the two who recruit it, the whole point of the two who recruit, sorry, is it dispels the myths of recruitment. And there's often this, you know, you've gone through and had family and it's quite hard to get up the leadership path, especially when you, you're juggling so much. What were your challenges whilst planning for a family or trying for a family or, you know, having a family? What challenges did you face in your career? You know, what advice could you give to auditors who are in, who have been in your position who want to have a family one day? How did you juggle all that and what challenges did you come across? Yeah, I think um, there's probably a few things in there. Um, I think... The first struggle and the initial struggle is just accepting that you're ready to have a family and that's what you want and that there's never a right time. There's never, I think I was always waiting for this penny to drop and say, right, now's the time. This is the time that you're going to um, have a child. And, you know, there were things that I had to miss out on um, when I was on my maternity leave from kind of a work perspective. And I was really worried about kind of falling behind. And, um, but, you know, I was loving being on maternity leave at the same time. Um, but I was lucky in the sense that I was um, pregnant during COVID and lockdown still. Um, so from a personal perspective, I didn't miss any of my friends' weddings or, yeah. you know, any kind of big events um, that I may have done otherwise, but there's never a right time. Um, so if you're kind of waiting for that right time to arrive, I just don't think that exists. I think you should always um, put your kind of personal feelings around when you're ready um, first. Um, and I think, you know, I don't think it gets talked about enough in the workplace, but fertility is a problem that a lot of people suffer with. I've had my own um, kind of struggles and actually having a, a support network at work that you can talk to when you're going through something like that is super, super important and being able to be open um, around what's happening because you know, they're the people that you're going to need to support you when you're feeling anxious or, yeah. um, you know, or things aren't going um, the way that you expect. So I think it's very important to, you know, have make sure that you have that support network at work and don't be afraid to kind of speak about things because I was trying to hide it. And actually when I spoke to some of my colleagues, um, they've gone through similar things or their wives have gone through similar things and actually that made me feel so much better about it and people yeah. were so understanding and they could offer the right support so i think a there's never enough time um there's never a right time sorry <laughs> never enough time um 
B, I think just making sure that you feel comfortable about what support is available um, through your employer and through um, from your colleagues. Um, because it's a big thing choosing to start a family and, you know, you can make that decision and then it, it not happen in the way that you kind of plan. So then the right time or what you thought was the right time yeah. isn't the right time anymore. <laughs> um, and so that's why I just think if if that's something that you want to do and it's important to you and you feel ready, then yeah. you, you just have to go for it. Um, Blunt question. Do you think employers support enough whilst, not, not the mentality, actual time off side of things or the package, do you think they support enough whilst you're trying, is there a network that people can support with or go to? Is there anything you think employers could do better? I think, um, and I think part of the problem is not the employers. I think it's uh, a, a worried the worry of employees to talk about it. Mm. Um, so I think employers, when they're asked, will will tell you what the support available is. Um, you know, most policies have been redrafted now mm. to include, um, you know, an aspect of fertility, um, whether that's treatment or um, kind of anything else related to that. I think COVID also helped um, you know, like raise awareness around taboo topics. And I think fertility has always been quite a taboo topic. Yeah. Um, the menopause has always been quite taboo. And now it's literally everywhere. You've got Davina McCall writing books about oh, it. And, you know, I think people being virtual almost broke down some of the barriers of, yeah. okay, we can talk about this a bit more openly and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, you know, you'd, you won't want to necessarily kind of announced your whole department um that you're trying for a baby like absolutely not at all that's um I don't think what employers should be doing but just having kind of teams and individuals who you know you can talk to independently for support um and raise awareness of kind of what help is out there from employers yeah um I definitely think there's maybe more to go but I think in so people feel more comfortable to talk about these topics. Mm. Um, it will be difficult for employers to kind of react with, you know, the solution yeah. or the answer. Um, and it's you have to check very carefully because it is such a delicate conversation. Yeah, of course. Um, but there's always more that we can do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course, but it, but it starts with us, right? And saying us, I'm personally not in that situation. I hope to be in the future, that's me being very open and transparent. But, you know, if we want to create change, we have to, that has to start from within or, you know, people who are facing those challenges. I get it, it's, it's a really hard thing to do. And, you know, I think people might be scared of how will they react or what's the reaction. I mean, I'm really lucky here, the CEO, Dave Hayler, he's really really open about these things he's so approachable and we had this conversation we were talking about okay we're a business we want to grow we want to attract and we have a massive issue with female uh, females leaving you know at the manager grade or start to plan you know start to plan a family or have a family and they don't come back into senior leadership positions there's a huge gap in the recruitment market at that level um, and, you know, he's, he wants to do something about it, but there's not many 
it employers like that, I might sound like I'm bragging about my boss, but genuinely, if anyone knows him, he's he's really, really young to difficult conversations, you know, or giving advice or, you know, just saying, look, speak to this person here, they could help, you know, I might not be the right person. And I think if everyone was like that, because even if you're a male, you know, you might have a daughter one day in that position who's at a company or your wife, like you said, you know, there's wives in that situation, um, in those situations, sorry. You know, and it's, it's a tough thing to go through and it's not just them going through it, it's the husband or the male, you know, male partner as well that's going through that. So, yeah, I think, I guess we need to create change. Um, one of the things that is worthwhile mentioning actually is the Women in Leadership platform, which I might have said to you, I haven't, I'll mention it now, um, which is led by myself and Julia White. Julia White is one of the founders and co-founders of that platform. And that is senior female leaders talking about imposter syndrome, talking about different challenges that females go through. But we have a lot of males attending that. You know, imposter syndrome is hard to identify. Males actually come on to that because they're like, we've suffered with it. It's a huge thing. Um, and that's one of the platforms where we'll be talking about more things that, you know, um, females, you know, have a challenging time in the workplace and how to deal with that. So, yeah, that will probably probably be coming up in spring next year. So, what I mentioned whilst we're talking about that topic. Um, we, we move on, though. So, just talking about you know, what qualities it takes, you know, if there's anyone listening to this podcast who wants to become a partner one day, it's not for everybody, um, but, you know, if you are that person and you are consciously making an effort, like you said earlier, you know, wanting to stay in professional services, what qualities would you say someone needs to have to be able to make it to a partner level? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I think um, I'm not saying that this has to, this has to be a quality that someone has um, to be a successful partner, but I do think it's really important. And that's being a people person. Um, so maybe if I unpicked that a little bit, um, I think you need to be kind of emotionally intelligent and in tune with your team, um, but also your clients and understand, you know, is there something that they want and what am I reading from this conversation? Um, you know, what's making my team kind of tick and how can I be approachable to them? So I think it's really important to be approachable to people at all levels um, because you want them to ask you questions. If they're stuck, you want, um, like ultimately you want everyone to be collaborating um, together because from an audit perspective, it's really important for audit quality that actually you're all singing from the same hymn sheet. Um, and I think you only get that if you're open to the team and not operating kind of in a remote silo on your own. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of, you know, tone from the top, kind of all of those cliche phrases, um, but it is really, really important. So I would say kind of, being a people person and all of that that comes with it yeah. is is number one. Um, and I also think by virtue of being a people person, you will role model the right behaviours. Um, 
And as I said, in different situations, the right behaviours might be slightly different um, and being able to flex that um, and just be adaptable to change, I just think, um, again, is really, really important. And that's the only way we'll inspire people to want to be partners. Mm. Um, and another thing, I wouldn't go as far as saying it's kind of poker face, um, but being able to manage um, kind of your emotions and your feelings um, is something that I've always struggled with. Um, so I've definitely cried in the office <laughs> on multiple occasions. Um, I'm laughing because I can completely relate to that. You know, there's, there's so many times where you might be frustrated or you just react to something. It's, it's how you react, but it's not having that. That doesn't phase me. And sometimes walking away, you know, I've personally had to walk away in certain conversations or scenarios where that's not working for me and that's really pushing on my buttons here and you're not going to get the reaction that you would have if I was calm, collected and stepping away. So sometimes I, oh, I love that because I've, <laughs> I've been an AD for about two years now and it is a challenge, especially when you're managing people. You're right, you have to be a people person and Again, just talking about EQ and having that emotional awareness, or, you know, reading the room. Reading the room is so key, isn't it? Whether yeah. you're pitching for a client, whether you're managing a team, whether you are talking to a colleague, your peer, it is so important because I think what people are looking for from a hiring perspective, correct me if I'm wrong, is when we talk to partners, directors, and the hiring for the teams, you could get an excellent CV, looks absolutely brilliant on paper, you know, ACA qualified, clean CV, you know, very loyal to a business, but sometimes they just can't read the room and they need people to have that ability where they can. So it's not so much about IQ anymore and having good grades, you know, and I often say this, I advise, you know, anyone that talks to me about recruitment and qualifications and studying, I always say, great, absolutely say, that's what I did. I went to university. Um, but you also need to push yourself out of your comfort zone. You need to go to debate class. You need to be reviewed. You need to be the opinions. And you need to touch yourself Yeah, um, and push yourself out of that zone. Yeah, I think that's really important. And it's, you know, when you interview people, it's not just, oh, what does, in fact, by the time I'm interviewing someone, I'm assuming that the kind of filtering of, qualifications and any kind of base needs that are required has, has already been done. Um, but you look to see whether you can build that rapport. Um, you know, can you envisage them sitting in a team environment um, and coaching juniors on your team? Um, can you see them in front of a client, you know, once, once they've got the confidence um, to do so? And I learned this really interesting fact, but we only only 5% of our kind of reactions or decisions are made with the rational part of our brain. That sounds about right when it comes to me. <laughs> but that's, that is literally, that science. So 95% of the things that we do, the way that we behave um, and the decisions we make are from the irrational part of the brain. So sometimes actually just stepping away and taking the time allows you to kind of shift from the irrational part to the rational part and then you'll give a better behavior a better reaction yeah. a better answer um 
and that's always that's really stuck with me actually I only learned that in kind of earlier this year um but actually just to kind of stop I'm not saying that you should internalize all of your feelings and emotions I think just thinking about like the impact if you suddenly have a breakdown in the office um which I haven't actually managed to do for a long time um (laughs) but if you do that you know there's junior people around and what message does that send like you're not coping or you know um yeah it's also I mean if I if I'm thinking back to when you know 23 24 you would definitely judge that and I'm not saying it's wrong or right to judge, but you do go off what you see. And it just gives someone a chance to make assumptions. You know, whatever it might be, you could have had all sorts going on that day, but that that doesn't matter. And I'm just thinking from a leadership point of view, it's it's really important. It's not, not, every, not everything needs a response straight away. And I think that's something that I've really, really had to learn. And I'm still learning. It's really tough not just to go blah, 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 and, you know, just give your immediate reaction because that's what we want to give. And that's probably, many, it goes back to what you said earlier, it's the nice 5% of, you know, how we're wired that we want to give that response. But, you know, sometimes you end up with a better result. So anyone who wants to go down a leadership path, that is definitely well worth considering. <laughs> so from Emma herself. <laughs> no, I think... I definitely have, well, I used to have it worse, but I had a real habit of kind of, I'm so desperate to say something and get my point across and I get just get overexcited and I end up interrupting people and talking over them. So that's something, again, that's part of the irrational brain, just yeah. trying to take over. And it's something I really have to concentrate and focus on to not do. Yeah. Um, I've got an interesting question for you, which to be fair, it might not be interesting to uh, a lot of people, but I've... I've always been wanting to dispel the myths of recruitment and professional services. So I've done a podcast for partners to give their view around the professional services world. Now, financial services, it's quite ruthless from what I hear. And it would be interesting to get your opinion on the industry and what challenges you might have faced as a female or just in the industry, did you face any? What are your thoughts on what I've just said? Please dispel the myth <laughs> of that. Because that is me making an assumption, you know, that's me going off hearsay if I'm if I'm being brutally honest. Yeah, and I think I think you also have to unpick financial services because I do think when I started as a kind of graduate um within banking um or within audit of banks if I kind of sat in a room with multiple clients or most of my client contacts were male. Um, and I'm not saying that that was a challenge and I'm not saying that I never felt heard or, you know, I was the the female in the room. Um, and I noticed that, but that was just a fact. Most of my clients were men. Um, that has changed. Um, and you know, you see a lot more, so I'm facing off to a lot more females in, you know, finance roles or front office roles or, you know, very senior leadership roles. Um, and that's really inspiring. I only noticed it. So when I seconded to New York, um, I actually noticed it more because there were more 
females in leadership roles. Um, and I suddenly, when I came back, I suddenly realized, oh, actually we're behind mm. where they are over there. And, you know, you can draw all sorts of theories as to why it's like that um, in America. You know, they, they typically take much less maternity leave. Yeah. You know, is that something that drives, you know, them progressing to leadership? I don't know. Yeah. Um, are they just more, more ahead? I mean, I've visited um, other countries before and they're certainly behind where we are in the UK. So I do think it also depends kind of culturally what it's like. Um, but I've never found, you know, I've never found it kind of ruthless in the financial services, in banking, mm. you're seeing it's just changing because you can't be a FTSE listed or an SEC listed, a New York listed company or large corporation without a good mix of gender and okay. other kind of diversity. Um, it just doesn't happen anymore. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't, I've never, I don't think, I can think of a kind of few situations where I've maybe felt like, oh, this is quite a laddie mm. environment, yeah. um, you know, when in client meetings, mm. um, I've never felt that at work where I've been employed, um, but I have actually felt it in client situations, but mm. I think it's kind of just again, as I mentioned, being flexible and being agile to kind of adapt your um, behaviours, yeah. um, not to just accept that it's an laddie conversation, but just sometimes they happen and yeah. it doesn't mean that it's like that all the time. Yeah. Um, but I can imagine, you know, I've had, I've heard hundreds probably of senior women from different organisations actually speak at events or panels and things like that. And I, I think probably I'm just in that bracket where, you know, I joined a graduate intake that had 50, 50 mm. males and females. So from day dot, I've kind of not really understood what yeah. the issues and challenges are. Yeah. Um, and I certainly don't feel that now. Mm. Um, but I imagine that, you know, females that were in those senior leadership roles when I first started yeah. probably did have different challenges. Um, because they would have been in a very, very male-dominated environment. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's good to, you know, I think there is more awareness around that, you know, people are making conscious effort to close that gender gap. Um, and it's good, there are changes, you know, being made. You know, there are people like you in, you know, a senior leadership position who has different lens on things, has a different vision on things, different experience, different outlook on life. So, no, it's good to... It's good to um, hear that. So you heard it here first on Parker's <laughs> Perspective, the financial services industry is changing. Um, you're a busy lady. You must be, obviously, you know, to do what you are, to excel your career, how it has. Do you have any side hustles? Do you have any hobbies? Do you have time? Firstly, my question is, do you have time for it? <laughs> Um, I think if you asked my husband, he would say that my hobby is just having too many friends. Um, a social life. Social is good. It's good until you plan to the wedding and you realise how long the guest list is. Oh, I do this um, thing. Yeah, you're completely right. And I do this. How destination wedding. That's why I just <laughs> limit, you limit everything. Um, 
I've completely forgot my train of thought now, but I do, oh, I know. So I do, so I do this thing and I have these, I have a great like social, a great idea. And I'm like, oh, let's book this in, let's do that. And then it goes to the time, why have I done that? Why have I got three weekends in a row for us to go out? I need a home day. Um, but back to you, what's yeah. your happy and your side hustle? So I always, exercise to me is really important. And I, I really notice it if I've kind of skipped it for a week. Um, I notice it in my energy levels. I notice it in my sleep quality. I notice it in my mood. And um, I just start to feel kind of like frustrated. Um, I think we were talking about it before we started, <laughs> but so I go to the gym generally at 5.30 in the morning. Um, yeah, I, I thought, I, by the way, I thought I was good for going at half seven and you're like, I'm going at 5.30. Um, good on you, I'm absolutely fast. Yeah, for me, the sacrifice of kind of going then and the sacrifice of sleep is more important than, um, you know, the, the feeling that I get from going. Yeah. And I know that that starts my day right. Yeah. I'm in the right frame of mind. It's a really good chance just to kind of clear your head um and i i really enjoy that so um that's probably my biggest hobby is actually exercise Mm -hmm. um and i think someone once it was like a work psychologist that he was talking about um you have to have non-negotiables so this is so true yeah i failed on this yesterday (laughs) so jules and i had a meeting yesterday and we it overwhelmed so we're like well we don't have time for a check and we felt awful for it and today we were talking about this non-negotiables it has to be but it's it's easier said than done yeah please tell us how you do this i'm on it but i think um you know i've got a two and a half year old so sometimes sleep isn't always um as planned Mm. um and then i'll be up at two in the morning or three in the morning with her and I'll suddenly cancel my gym class <laughs> at 5.30 um, just to get those few extra hours back. Um, and But for me, you know, if I do that and I'm not going into London, then I'll rebook and try and go at lunchtime. Yeah. So it's still a non-negotiable and I'll try and flex around it. Um, but I think so my non-negotiable is my exercise and I choose to do it at that time because... I'd be awful if I left it to the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anything came up, you know, a work emergency or the call from nursery, then I would have to sacrifice it and that would frustrate me. So I get up, I get it done mm-hmm. and I start my day. And that's um, kind of just always what I've done. Um, and actually it's not every morning now because that's only if I'm coming into London yeah. that I need to do it that early. Yeah. Um, and then... Yeah, I've tried to apply the same kind of logic to having my daughter. Um, And when I first came back from maternity leave, I definitely didn't get this right. Um, But that's okay. I've come to terms with all of that now. Um, And I actually learned from um, another um, partner who came back from maternity leave after me. Um, And just seeing how well she managed her non-negotiables and it just taught me so many things um around you know you put it in your diary um and if someone tries to put in a meeting if there is no alternative whatsoever yeah um and my husband can 
you know, do the pickup instead and I'll swap pickups on a different day, then fine. But if there is an alternative and it's reasonably easy to get there, then that's what happens. Um, And I will say no. Um, So I really try and protect that time. If I'm, if I've committed to go and do the pickup, I will block that time in my diary. Um, And someone once said to me, oh, but, you know, what do you do if a client calls you and you're, you know, doing bedtime? And I just said, well, I leave, I don't pick it up yeah. and I'll email them after I finish and say, I'm sorry, I missed your call. I was doing bedtime. Yeah. Do you want to speak now or can it wait till tomorrow? You know, I've, I've accepted that doing that, having that time in the evening and then perhaps having to pick up my laptop for an hour or two after, yeah. because I've kind of missed that time. That's, you know, that's okay because what's important is my non-negotiable hasn't slipped. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one thing we think here, and sometimes we're our own worst enemies, and certainly my own, and often what my colleagues say, and my boss will say this, we're not surgeons. It's not like we're there. <laughs> we're not operating on a table where we are responsible for someone else. What you are responsible for is your non-negotiable and is your daughter and that time and you're right, it has to be protected. Um, you sound like an absolute superwoman. I loved having you on this show because there's so many people. I'm sure they will find absolute value in it. I personally do. Um, thank you so much for coming on, you know, Thanks for using your personal time to do this. We definitely appreciate it. So thank you so much for coming on this episode.